Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the August 21, 2022 session, focusing on Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9 through 14, Trampling the Sabbath. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Burt Montgomery. Many of us, if you're like me, and I have a feeling I'm not alone in this, many of us feel rather depleted lately. (laughs) And I mean that in all the ways, you know, like energy, like just feeling drained, right? Emotionally. And, you know, I'm sure some of it is the stress of the pandemic that we've lived through and are still dealing with at some level that it, the craziness of the world right now, I mean, it's always crazy, but it feels like it's particularly wacky right now. And, you know, the divisiveness in our culture, on and on and on. So I'm curious, how many days of rest do you think you would need to restore you to 100%? (laughs) (laughs) Right? You're laughing. What? What's uh? What's three hundred sixty-five <laughs> days times ten years? <laughs> that may get me to fifty percent. It could. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. This is a real question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you run with it however you want to. I just I so I was talking to someone the other day who had been able to take a two-week trip to the beach this summer, and they said to me, two weeks is the way to do it. One week you don't even get started." And I was yeah. thinking, how much time do you need? Is there the expectation that that rest would last once you returned from getting it? Mm, I don't know, would it? Because I have had some time off and vacations where I felt very rested at the end of that vacation. Mm-hmm. And then I go back to regular life and all of us like, feels like it just kind of dissipates quickly. So I will say, I'm not sure that I could put a number on that. I think some things have to change structurally for that to be a reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say that, I mean, not to be fatalistic about it, but I don't, (laughs) I don't think there are enough days because my coach talks about ambient anxiety. There is just ambient anxiety mm-hmm. in the world. We and and because we are communal beings, we we feel it. So, I mean, it, it Nikki, exactly what you said. We I, I can take a month vacation, but two days into returning to what whatever real world there is, we're we're back at mm-hmm. you know the feeding off that that ambient anxiety and yeah it's just it's just tough and and uh, part part of the issue is a little bit of self-manufactured i think sure Uh, as a local church pastor when when the pandemic started i mean it's understandable because we thought it was only going to last you know a month or two (laughs) so we set ourselves up for some very unrealistic expectations david you wrote about this i remember from a lay perspective or, or encouraging lay persons to be careful what you're asking your pastors to do. This is not sustainable. And so, you know, we, we are, we are still pandemic pastoring, which is beyond our capacity. Mm-hmm. We're still doing it nearly three years into it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we can't do this for another 20 years. It's yeah, just it, not. 
add to that that yesterday <laughs> not to be a downer um add to that yesterday monkeypox was declined declared a national emergency right, right? yeah and this new strand of covid that that is so spread so fast mm-hmm. uh and, and then with the flu season coming it's going to be quite a fall so finding time to rest making time to rest getting stored up with rest as as y'all both have said, we are going to have to, not just individually with our individual lives, but as a society, as a collective, long-lasting, very real changes to how we live our lives, because it is unsustainable. Yeah. I, this may be more than you asked for in an opening question. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, you asked... Apparently, we all needed to talk about this. (laughs) There have been several times when I, you know, like I listen to the news in the morning. Most of the time I'd get, I get up in the morning, I turn on NPR and I get all the updates from the day before, especially if I hadn't had a chance to catch them the night before. And I often find myself thinking, and now I'm supposed to go to work as if everything is the way that it was right and so i'm supposed to go and that's across the board that's not saying anything about my particular workplace we're all supposed to be doing that we're all supposed to go back to work and act as if it doesn't feel like the world is falling apart um and i think that our lack of attention to those things that are bringing us so much exhaustion only makes us more exhausted. Mm-hmm. I think that so few of us have taken time to process everything that has happened since March of 2020. And it's a lot and it is on every level. We've taken so little time to process it um, because it, there's not been an appropriate place to do so. Usually you process when there is some closure and we don't have closure on much of any of this. So I I think it's like a double-edged thing. So I don't think there is a number of days that could actually give us rest. I think that things have to change and we have to do some tending to ourselves that circumstances are not easily letting us have. Yeah. Well, um, clearly, we could talk about this for a while. <laughs> Maybe we should do a podcast on it. <laughs> uh, you know, and I guess what what it leaves me thinking is uh, all the things we, you've described are true, but also that it's it's a time to have grace with each other. Yeah. That mm. pretty much everybody we see and drive by and walk past is dealing with it too, yep. and is worn out and overloaded, and you know. Maybe maybe the first thing we can do is just show each other some grace. Yeah. Cut each other some slack. <laughs> well, we continue in um, Isaiah. And Bert, would you help us get started with this conversation? Well, I'll try. If you have attended almost any church worship service in the past 20 years, chances are you have sung Matt Redman's great worship song, The Heart of Worship. Well, it's a mainstay in contemporary worship services everywhere, but it's also been added to some hymnals over the past two decades. So even if your church still uses a piano, organ, and a choir, rather than praise bands, amplifiers, and mood lighting reminiscent of a Pink Floyd concert, you've still probably sung it. 
Now, I love the heart of worship because it reminds me that worshiping God is not about me or how a worship service makes me feel or doesn't make me feel. The heart of worship reminds me that far too often we go to great lengths, myself as a pastor included, to plan an enjoyable, entertaining, emotional experience, if we're honest, a bit of a spectacle, rather than simply creating space for us to slow down, stop, rest, and listen in the very presence of our living God and with each other in the presence of God. The heart of worship calls us to repent of this thing that we have made worship into, and it reminds us to focus as Christians on all that we have and all that we are to focus all these things upon Jesus. Our text from Isaiah 58 is a challenge to get back to the heart of worship. Coming from what scholars call third Isaiah, words not from the original person named Isaiah, the prophet who lived in Jerusalem in the 700s before the Common Era, but rather in the post-exilic period, roughly 200 years later. It's from that period when the people are returning from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem, and they're eager to return to the familiarity of the good old days, which, as we still do today, and as is true for many of us right now, most of these people, in fact, all of these people in Isaiah being referred to here, were not even anywhere near close to being alive during the good old days they want to return to. There's a lot of tension among the people. There's a lot of question about who belongs and who doesn't. There was a lot of economic uncertainty. There's food shortages, as well as political turmoil and strife. There's outright political violence being committed against one another. Can you imagine that in a nation of people? Anyway, they were those wanting to move forward in a more progressive and a more inclusive, broad, open way. And there were those who wanted to buckle down, lock in, and enforce a much more restrictive, exclusive, and domineering path to make Israel great again. And with regard to the Sabbath, the seventh day set aside as a holy day of rest to worship God, Leaders were fighting about how to properly observe it as they tried to create meaningful experiences of worship for the people. And this passage lets the people know, it ain't about them. It ain't about their power. It ain't about their rules. It ain't about their wishes or who is in charge. There was religious corruption going on. There was tremendous exploitation of the poor and the needy and the sick by the wealthy. And there was great pride among the religious leaders as to their closeness of God. And Isaiah 58 says, just as Jeremiah has said, just as Amos says, just as Micah says, just as Jesus says in our New Testament, Isaiah 58 says, it's not about our music. It's not about our words. It's not about how beautiful and clean our buildings are, but it is about justice, inclusion, equality, grace, and just being worthy because you are. Let me read to you from an English translation of the Hebrew Scriptures in Isaiah, beginning, and I'm going to read a few select verses from this today's passage. Then... Then, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry, the Lord will say, 
here I am. If you banish the yoke in your midst, if you banish, you do away with that menacing hand that you hold out and the evil speech that you speak, and you offer your compassion to the hungry, you satisfy the famished. Then your light will shine in the darkness, and even your gloom will be like noonday. Then it goes on, if you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your affairs on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath delight, the Lord's holy day honored, and if you honor it and go about not your ways of doing things, not looking after your affairs, not striking bargains for yourself and doing things the way you want them done, but you, you seek God's desires, then you can seek the favor of the Lord. I want to note that our gospel text today in, in, in the lectionary readings that goes along with this Isaiah passage is Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. That's the story of Jesus teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and a woman who has been physically disabled, unable to stand up straight for 18 years, walks in, and Jesus sees her, calls her to himself, and he sets her free from what ails her. She stands up and praises God, and just like that, the leader of the synagogue and his people start stirring up the gathered congregants with their self-righteous anger. Jesus is disrupting this holy service. Jesus is sinning by doing work on the blessed Sabbath, and Jesus condemns them, condemns this burdening yoke that religious religion places upon people and human needs, and the crowd celebrates the healing and all the good things that Jesus goes about doing. So let's get back to the heart of worship, shall we? Because it asks whether or not we're trampling the Sabbath. Friends, if worship is all about Jesus, if worship is all about God, then make no mistake, worship is so much more than just singing songs that make us feel good and boasting of our love for God and walking out with an emotionally charged feeling, but it absolutely is all about others. And it is all about, if it's about God and it's about Jesus, it is all about the humanity and the needs, and the rest, and the justice, and the action, and the inclusion, and the equality, and so on, and so on, and so on. So maybe we do need to get back to the heart of worship. Bert, thank you for that introduction. Isaiah is replete with, I don't even want to call it worship advice, but maybe it's ways in which we could worship better, and ways in which we can act so that God hears our worship better. Uh, Isaiah spends lots of ink on that, which is which is so interesting because so so many times our worship services, while they are corporate worship services, are really geared toward helping a bunch of individuals worship. You know, have this God and me kind of uh, moment. You know, the, the fact that we sit in pews looking at the backs of one another's heads up at the holy stuff that takes place up the front, rather than looking across the table at one another's face, I, th I think indicates that we 
we too often see worship as this purely interior kind of exercise. When Isaiah is clear, it, it, worship is absolutely about, about others. It's, it's nothing if not corporate. And, and the way we ignore or mistreat one another has serious implications for our worship together, or what God wouldn't even call worship altogether. Bert, thank you so much um, for sharing. I have to confess that um, now I have the heart of worship playing in my brain over and over and over again, but I can't remember all the words, so I keep getting stuck. I appreciate this conversation. Uh, and as I was looking at the text, I noticed the call absolutely to return to a kind of worship that is indicative of how God has called us to live our lives. And in the passage, the prophet is calling the people to also, if you look at the first eight verses also, which I did, it begins by saying, let go of some other things, let go of the way that you're behaving that causes people to be in oppressed situations or don't do your worship and then not care. And it reminds me that the last two weeks, that is what the Israelites who were taken into exile were being accused of. They were in trouble with the prophet and with God because they worshiped but they did not behave as those who worship. And so there was this disconnect between worship and the lives that were lived outside of that. And it looks like these Israelites that have now come back to Israel from exile are being tempted to do the same thing, that they are going to live lives that do not match the worship that they do in their synagogues. Yeah, one of the um, one of the commentaries I read for this text by a gentleman named Brian Jones talks about he he, he sees a, he's an Old Testament scholar, Hebrew scripture scholar, and he sees some parallels between this passage in Isaiah fifty eight and Leviticus twenty five, which is the Jubilee chapter, and he says there's some some clear parallels here structurally and thematically as he reads it in the original Hebrew, but they're dealing with the the shifting of wealth and power into fewer and fewer hands, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that it emphasizes that salvation is a here and now incarnate in this world kind of thing, dealing with human action and behavior. That Isaiah is saying, as it says in Leviticus, that the restoration, Isaiah is saying the restoration of the people as a community depends on the restoration of the infrastructure upon which the goodness of the common, you know, the common good, the goodness of the common life depends. Um, and that you, you know, and it does call into question if, if we're in churches um, singing the heart of worship and going to church and feeling good about ourselves, but we're landlords who are evicting and, and using using laws to allow us to evict quickly <laughs> people mm -hmm. um, and, and not give them any benefit or any help or any 
recourse of action and kicking them out on the streets. What does that do? If if we're in churches and we're bank executives and CEOs of, of credit card companies or lenders of college loans, and we're using the system to allow us to keep jacking up interest rates so people are going to be in debt to us forever – and that no amount of honest work will ever be able to pay off the debts owed to us. What What is that doing? This is the kind of stuff Isaiah is addressing. And it's stuff that we need to be dealing with today in our churches. I like that phrase that you used. I think you may have, I don't know if you took it from the uh, commentator you were talking about, but the goodness of the common life that we do all have this common life that we share. Um, I'm convinced that life is a group project anyway. If we all share this, if I share this with you, um, if I share this with the people who stand at the highway exits on my way home, if I share this life with the kids at my children's school, then I am called to care about all of these people's common life, their everyday life and their ability to have comfort and joy and the things that they need and human dignity. That if I am not concerned about those things, then my worship is insincere. Yeah. Let me, that, that is from, that's from Brian Jones, a, uh, a, uh scholar of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, But let me read that again. He says, salvation is here now. This is from this text in Isaiah. He's saying, salvation is here now. It is incarnate in human action, the restoration of the people as a community. Now, let's pause because we hear so much right now of people who who use religious language and God, and we America needs God, America needs Jesus, and we use a lot of language that is very religious in nature which is what Isaiah is addressing when he's talking about trampling the Sabbath. We use a lot of religious language to make us feel good about ourselves, but he's reminding us the text of Isaiah, which Jesus gets to as well, is that the restoration of people as a community depends on the restoration of the infrastructure we create upon which the goodness of its common life depends. That's his words, and that's what you were referring to. But mm-hmm. yes, exactly. It, we're in this. We're we're all in this together. And one of the things that the people were fighting about in Isaiah's time was who's included and who's not. Uh, what, did did you did you mix marriage while you were out in exile? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you of a pure Jewish race? Or are you coming from you know mixed people? Are you not even one of us? But you're back in this land. You got in this land while we were gone. Mm-hmm. All that, who's in and who's out? And Isaiah is like, hey, we're all in this together. And our systems that we create are for all of us together. And if we're using God's name to justify just a few of us individually, and y'all go home and sing praises to God, but hey, it's your fault if you're uh, a poor, and it's your fault if you're sick, and it's your fault if that, then we're not worshiping God, no matter what we say, and no matter how beautiful our building is that we're saying it in. I, I don't know that I have something profound to say with this. Uh, so I'm, I just want to speak out loud, and maybe together we can find the connection. But a good portion of this, the first part at least, is part of the Ash Wednesday lections. 
So I'm, I'm starting to think about a lot of things. You know, the 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 repentance that is required and the uh, the gift of salvation. Also, it causes me to think that about how Ash Wednesday may be a communal event after all. You know, rather than uh, mm-hmm. individual. And and how do we how do we collectively place ashes upon us? You know, what what, what might that be? But um, it, it's interesting that so so much of our Faith seems to be seeking after God, trying to understand, trying to uncover mystery. And yes, there is some of that. But it's pretty clear what God is asking us to do here. It's you do this, I will do this. Right. I mean, it is feed those who are hungry. I will listen to your prayers. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not it's not it's yes. a, a rocket science kind of thing here. Anyway. I, I'm I'm all over the place. I, my my mind's just thinking about a lot of these things. But you know, we started. David asked that question: how many How many days do we need to be recharged to get enough rest so it will be a hundred percent again? And the, the one of the verses in our text, I've already closed my my Bible, but one of those verses in this Isaiah text early on, um, in the nine probably nine through eleven section, early in those verses, it says. If you do these things, right? Like you said, if, 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 then your light will shine brightly. Then even your gloom, yeah. right? Even our lowest points, even when we're the most exhausted, will be like the noonday. I mean, can you imagine if our worst moments are still as bright as noonday? I mean, that's sort of what we're wanting to, we, we're trying to imagine when we say, what do we need to be Y'all. enough rest? Well, this is... Boy, that's a word. Good. And this is just... Right. If, if we took care of each other, if we made sure everybody got the care they needed, health care, and that some people weren't going to rip off with billions of dollars for, by making sure that many of us can't get anything, our, our worst moments would be like the brightness of the noonday. Mm. Preach. I hate it when a Bible study or a sermon <laughs> prep kicks me in the rear end. <laughs> I know. Because like I'm sitting here thinking... I have been so exhausted, but maybe if I put my efforts toward helping people more than listening to the anxiety of the world, my heart and my soul would feel more rested. Mm. I hate it when Bible study prep kicks me in the rear. (laughs) Man. Well, as I've, as I've listened to us uh, discussing this text, which which is loaded with really great imagery so and good. and does kick us. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of uh, my friend Jim Dant wrote about the church in one of his books, uh, and the section that that caught my eye is heavenly loneliness, which is hard to say by the way. Heavenly loneliness is healed in the church, and, and he says he says this, and I think it connects with with this conversation and text today. He says. We are lonely for heaven. I'm not referring to a city in the sky where angels flip from cloud to cloud and pluck eternal melodies on golden harps. I'm I'm dreaming with the prophets of a new heaven and a new earth. It is a place where God dwells with God's people in undimmed perfect light. It's a place where all that divides us is reconciled. The lion lies down with the lamb. The child sits near the viper, and Hitler sits with the heavenly feast with the Jews, weeping and welcomed. 
In fact, it's a place where all tears will finally cease because our conflicts and our pains will have been reconciled. The work we could have done on earth, should have done on earth, will be honestly engaged and completed. It's a place where we no longer see through a glass darkly. We know others, and we are known, really known. And finally, we, we understand. Heaven is God with us. We get a taste of God's presence in the church. Jesus promised us that where two or three are gathered, he would be there. And on the night of his betrayal, Jesus lifted bread and wine and claimed they were his body and his blood. When we gather to share the meal, he is there. Jesus taught us that when we love and minister to and among the least of these, we are loving and ministering to him. He is there. As the church worships, shares communion, and embraces the people of God's world, it knows the presence of God. Our heavenly loneliness is being healed. May we all experience Sabbath. May we gather as communities to worship in a way that does please God and that refreshes us and makes our bones strong. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.